Matthew 6, 19 through 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you eat, or what you drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious about, oops, yep, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning. I'm Jake Ledette, one of the pastors here, and it is a joy to be with you. Um, happy Father's Day. It is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um, as I think about Father's Day, I think a, a couple things. Um, I think, uh, one, just as dads, you know, we're, we're really... Uh, not needy, you don't need to do much for us, uh, but we want everything. And so we don't need anything, but whatever you give us, you know, we, we really want that. And so, and we'll take everything you can give us today, like a nap or uh, whatever that might look like or whatever else, you know what we want. So, you know, good luck. Um, and then I was, as I was thinking about the kids in here today, and I was thinking about uh, Father's Day, and I was thinking about even how you know, obviously, church over the next few weeks, you know, we have elementary age kids in here a good bit, so it's not that abnormal. But I was just thinking about, you know, this is what we're always saying, you know, about the, the previous generations and stuff, like how much better, like, man, we just had to be bored in here, you know? Like when I was growing up or if I went to church when I was young and there was, I mean, there was just, 
and the sermon was boring, which this one's probably going to be boring for y'all. So, uh, but y'all got like stuff. You got stuff to entertain yourself and like write and color and snacks. Man, I never even, that wasn't even a thing when I grew up, like taking snacks places. Now you just can't go anywhere without a snack. Anyways, that's not what this sermon is about. So I'm happy for you kids. Um, and then, okay, last couple things about Father's Day. Um, one, I, I do hope that Northbrook continues to be a place where we can be intentional uh, as men, uh, whether you're a father or not, whether you're single, whether you're married, but that we can grow in our intentionality of what it means to be a man, what God says about being a man, uh, being a man, and celebrate that. And thank God for uh, that he has made men and women uh, to bear his image and represent him. Uh, as, as in an age where that just gets more confused and more clouded, uh, what a joy to, to, to be at a place and, and seek God and ask him to, to make us uh, these kinds of men. Because uh, the other thing about uh, fathers is it, it doesn't matter how good of a family you grow up in or growing up in right now, we're all going to have wounds. We're all going to have wounds from, from our upbringing, from our fathers, and there's a spectrum there. Some of those are incredibly significant and fairly devastating. Uh, and some of those are, are more ordinary, but we still have to work through them. Uh, we still have to navigate those. And I also want Northbrook to be a place that acknowledges that, that we can be open and honest about the life we've lived, the experience we had, because when we do that, we, we honor people that have not had the typical life. There, there, there's kids that have been, you know, we can say Happy Father's Day on such a joyous occasion. There may be some people in here that are kind of devastated that it's Father's Day as they think about their father in their situation. And, and we never just want to be typical. We want to acknowledge the, the spectrum of life that we all experience. And, uh, you know, in God's providence, some of us have uh, really sweet situations and sweet relationships with our father. Uh, and the, and the, because of the devastation and brokenness of sin, some of us have really, really heavy situations there. So we want to be a, a church and a people together that acknowledge those realities and seek God for what he would have for, for us because he has hope and healing and comfort um, as he has revealed himself as the perfect father and he truly is the only one uh, that we can go to uh, for the love that we most deeply need. And so happy Father's Day, excited. Hope you get to, if you can, celebrate your father, uh, celebrate your husband as a father or whatever that looks like, or seek God in the midst of the hurt that this day brings. Um, one other thing before we get into today is, uh, so thinking about, just kind of give you a little bit of heads up, I kind of like you to know a little bit about what's coming, especially on Sundays and regards to sermons and whatnot. So doing, actually, we've slowed down a lot uh, throughout the Lord's Prayer um, and because of that, we, I was going to try to finish up the Sermon on the Mount before sabbatical, but choosing to slow down during the Lord's Prayer mean, means I couldn't do that. Um, and so I am actually going to wrap up chapter 6 today. Um, and then next week, I just felt led to uh, go a different direction for my last sermon before uh, sabbatical. Uh, and if you have missed that communication, you can ask me about it later. But... Um, so my last sermon for sabbatical, we'll actually uh, look at Matthew 11, uh, verses 28 through 30, as we consider what it looks like to go to Jesus for rest uh, for me and for us as a church. Um, so, and then after that, we're going to go throughout the summer, throughout July, we're going to sp spend five weeks in the book of the Psalms. And Randy can tell you more about his vision for that uh, next week. But that's somewhat of a 
common practice is just to go to the Psalms uh, during the summer and, and seek God's wisdom there. And then when we come back in August, we'll actually finish up chapter seven in the Sermon on the Mount uh, throughout August. And actually, for many of you, you'll be excited. Uh, Dave Bruscus is actually gonna come in. Uh, some of you don't know who that is, but if you're from uh, The Village uh, or Redemption Story, you remember Dave, and he's gonna come cap off the Sermon on the Mount. So you'll actually hear a good sermon from the Sermon on the Mount um, when he gets here, and he'll, it, it'll, it'll be really good. He's actually gonna do that partly because we're gonna be in Jordan when he comes and, and does that. Um, and so that's what's going on, and then we'll get into the other fall series after that. So excited, hopeful for what God will continue to do um, through, throughout uh, our time as we gather together every Sunday to seek him in his word. And so today, Jesus, if you just listen to Joy there, is going to address the issue of money and anxiety. So surely y'all are all excited to talk about that. Jesus is going to talk about money and the anxiety that we experience in regards to God's provision. Uh, so money is a little more comprehensive here. It's definitely talking about money, but it's talking about money as kind of the goods and stuff and provision, uh, the material needs that we have, and, and God providing those. And, and I realize we can have some different responses to even that reality. Some of you are just, you hear that and you're excited. You genuinely are. You're like, man, I, I long to grow in understanding my money, my financial situation, my budget, my possessions. I long to continue to grow in understanding what it looks like to uh, respond to that and to use those things in light of who God is and a lot of what he has done for us. And, and you want to continue to grow in that way. Uh, you wanna look at your money and possessions through a biblical perspective. But I realize that there's others that might be even put off and somewhat offended uh, that a ch at church we're talking about money because you think the church is all about money. And unfortunately, there's too many examples out there that would prove you right, uh, where you could go to church, and it is a church that is all uh, about money. But I, I love this passage because today we're not going to talk about giving to the church at all, because that's not what Jesus is talking about. Uh, Jesus is not talking about giving to the church in this situation. There are passages that talk a lot about that, and you can imply some of that here, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Um, it's actually... The, the thing, though, is it's actually much more extreme than that because he's not just talking about the money we give. He's talking about all the money we have and how do we view it. All of our possessions, all of what God has given us, all of that, how do we view that? What do we do with that? Not just the little bit we maybe set aside to give to the church or, or somewhere else. Uh, I've done this before, but I think it might be helpful just to, I, I like to give you some context uh, personally, so my a little snapshot of my money story. So we grew up in a house that was not very good with money. Um, I, my, I had it a little better than my brothers in the sense of we had a little bit more as I was a little older, but man, we were, it, was, it was just one of those houses where as soon as money came in, it would just go out. I remember even this one uh, time, I don't know what happened, like one of my parents got in a wreck and so we got some settlement from that. And so it was like we were rich. Uh, it was just, it was like, and I remember a, a buddy of mine kept staying the night with me and we went out to eat and we got like appetizers, which was crazy. And we got food, then we got dessert. And then I was about to start basketball. And so I got the new Penny Hardaway ones, which I would have tried to held on to at this point, but, um, cause those are a thing now. Uh, but, uh, 
and did that. And my friend was like, dude, is this what like weekends are like with y'all? This is, I was like, no, we just got money and now we don't have any more money because we just did this. Um, but that was like, that was like my life is we, we had money, we spent it all. And then we like, we got groceries, me and my older brothers ate all the groceries. And then we spent like weeks in famine, just hoping for the next time my parents would go to the grocery store. Um, so anyways, we were impulsive. And that, that carried over to me. I was, I was very impulsive. I was, when I was 18, got two credit cards. What's, what's funny is we were so bad with money, but we were that kind of bad with money that thought we were wise with money. Like we were free to give money advice. Like, oh, you're having some issues? Let me tell you, I can, I can help you out. And we were so horrible with money. Anyways, 18, and so this is an example of that. 18, grew up, got a couple credit cards, of course, to establish good credit. That's why I got credit cards. I was gonna pay them off every month. That's what wise people do. But... If you pair good intentions with bad habits without any heart change, it doesn't go well. Um, and so pretty quickly, 18, 19 is like $30,000 in debt and had very little, I think I had a dresser to show for it. In fairness, we still have that dresser. Uh, but, um, but that was, was a really expensive dresser. Um, and, uh, you know, $30,000 in debt, you know, at a young age. And then luckily I had an aunt and uncle at the time. They invited me into their house, helped me kind of, pay off some of that. And then really somewhere along that way too, I ran into Dave Ramsey stuff. And so started to try to uh, grow and, and understand that. And then, you know, when me and Ginger got married, she was like, she didn't even know who Dave Ramsey was. She could have been Dave Ramsey. She was just very frugal and very, you know, uh, wise with money. And so, you know, for really 95% of our marriage, we have not had any debt outside of our house and uh, been able to um, add some wisdom to how we handle our money, but still, and I don't say this like in a false humility, like have so much room to grow, which I'll, I'll talk about in a little bit, just some of the, things, some of the ways that looks like uh, right now. Um, but I, I say that just because, I mean, obviously we can all know that right now, but I definitely have a decent amount of experience in, in my own personal life of what it looks like to struggle uh, with money and uh, how, whether, how, how we use it. Um, and I also share that because I think about even if you handle your money well. I think about Dave Ramsey. You can follow every one of his baby steps. You can put Crown Financial, another good kind of Christian resource, or whatever money management system you use, you can do it perfectly and still struggle mightily with materialism. You can handle your money from a worldly perspective in really wise ways, but still struggle significantly with materialism and the the allurement that, that just comes with money. It's one of the reasons I love this passage. Jesus is just straightforward here. He's just talking about money. It's like, it's not an allegory for something. He's like, money's, you know, there's a lot of temptation that comes with money, and he knows it, and so he, he talks to us uh, about it. Um, and, and the reality is, again, one of the reasons those money management systems don't work to answer all of our problems um, is because only only the gospel can, can change our hearts. Dave Ramsey can't change your heart. Some kind of new thing to do with money is not going to change your heart. Our issues with money are become, come from our heart. Um, if, if we have like an, a little money issue, that issue can be solved with just a little bit more money perhaps or a little tweak about this or that. But money issues are a window into our soul. And they expose what's going on in our hearts and when they do that, we realize the answer has to be something so much bigger than, you know, Dave Ramsey's baby steps. 
Um, and, and luckily there is uh, an answer that, that answers the, the darkness of our hearts. Jesus shows us that money issues, again, are a sign of a much bigger, bigger pro- problem, and so we need a much bigger answer than we might think. Um, so as we walk through this passage, I'm just going to say I don't, I don't have much structure for you today. Uh, we, we are going through this teaching cohort right now. Uh, where people teach and we give feedbacks. This is the second time we've done it. And one of the biggest feedbacks we have is like, guys, y'all just need to have more structure. You, we have no idea what you're doing. And I don't have that today. So I am sorry. I think it's partly like my prep mind is started sabbatical already. And so it's just like points were just elusive to me. I just couldn't get there. Uh, but we're going to walk through this passage. And uh, Jesus' words are actually incredibly straightforward. Uh, so we'll listen to him. So... Verse 6, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, I mean, verses 19 and 20, we almost, we just need to let them weigh upon us. It's a, it's a pretty simple truth. We're valuing the stuff of this world, or we're valuing what is going to last for eternity. We're able to treasure the things that are on earth, that are flimsy, that are here today, that are gone tomorrow, that even if you do enjoy abundance your whole life, they are left behind. Or we treasure eternal riches that will never be destroyed. And it really just does bring to mind, like, just the the quick math lesson that um, the reality is we will spend more time dead than alive. I know it doesn't feel like that right now because we're all alive. But we'll spend more time dead than alive. If you think just logically about that, like, if I'm going to spend most of my time in a certain place, in a certain room, I'm going to think about what that room is. I'm going to think about what's going on there. I'm going to think what, about what, what the values are there, what needs to happen there. Um, and if we really consider and think logically that we are going to spend more time dead than alive, uh, then that would affect what we um, do. And that's the logic Jesus is using here. This passage isn't just saying make choices on earth that give you this abundant treasure in heaven. It is saying we should long for and apply ultimate value to the life to come. Jesus isn't talking about like a savings plan, like, hey, you're storing up savings and you're going to enjoy all those savings in heaven. He's saying, no, that's just what really matters, eternity. This is what Jesus is constantly doing uh, throughout uh, this sermon. He's lifting our eyes from the temporary to the eternal if you think back to Matthew 5, 11, the last beatitude, blessed are you when others, uh, Matthew 5, 11 and 12, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's saying not just do we don't need to focus on earthly riches, it's okay if your, your life is full of persecution because eternity matters that much. Eternity is that significant that if you were to spend this, your, this life being persecuted for the sake of the gospel, it would be a worthy exchange. Jesus is continuing to lift our eyes from the temporary 
to the eternal. Or Matthew 5.29, kind of the other side of this. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus is trying to get us to consider eternity. The comforts and what is present before us are what our eyes and our bodies and our we're just, we're, desires are just drawn to. And Jesus doesn't deny those. Jesus actually says those are important. I actually will provide for what you need. But what is most important is that you trust me to do that. Um, anything we have on this earth, again, can be destroyed or stolen. And Jesus wants us to look around at all of our stuff through an eternal perspective. We're just so good at justifying sin while Jesus is showing us that if you are thinking eternally, you will remove anything in your life that causes you to sin. Anything. And, and I think we get a little weird when it comes to money here. Uh, I'm going to read a quote here, and it's going to sound really good, but I'm just going to tell you at first, it, it sounds good, but it's kind of dumb. Uh, so you're going to, if I wouldn't say that, you would hear this quote, and you'd be like, amen. Uh, but I didn't want you to do that. Or, you know, you can disagree with me, but uh, I think we go with an extreme with money at some time. So John Wesley, he says this. Maybe you've heard this before. He says, when I have money, I get rid of it quickly, lest it find a way into my heart. Again, it, it can move us. And now you're probably all just confused. Like, I don't know if I should be encouraged by that or bothered by that. But let's just be honest. It isn't practical. And it isn't even, I, I couldn't really find it biblically. Um, and I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying here or elsewhere about money. In, in fairness, John Wesley says a lot of good things about money. This just is not one of them. Because um, here's the deal. We interact with money on a daily basis. We don't have the, I mean, if John Wesley is going to give all his money away, somebody else's money is going to provide for John Wesley. So, I mean, he's just kind of shifting the, you know, whatever. Um, and, uh, and so we, we have to figure out what to do with money. Like it's a, it, to me, that's a little bit of an immature cop-out in regards to handling money. It's like, oh, I'm just not going to deal with it in any way. I'm just going to give it all away. And I, but that's not even, no one does that because uh, we need money. We interact with it daily. And so we need to grow in our maturity and our understanding of, of what we do with it, of how we give it away, of how we spend it, of how we save it. Um, and having an eternal perspective helps us do those things well. Um, and so we, we need to hear Jesus' words and, and have him uh, teach us so that we can interact with money on a daily basis in a godly way. The, the verse 21 is just, you know, that again, one of the popular verses from this section. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think it's important for us to realize this is not a progression as in if you put your treasure here, then your heart will follow. It's a revealing statement. It, it exposes simply right now, where is your treasure? That is where your heart is. You, you can't separate the two. And, and I think pastors, again, sometimes like to use this as like a giving to the church kind of thing. Like, all right, and, and there's an implication there. You can, you know, do you give to the church? Do you value what the church says? But this is about much more than what we get. It's, it's about all of our possessions. It's about all that God has given us. It's how are we stewarding all the money and the treasure that God uh, has put in our life and how do we view it? That is, it's an all-encompassing statement, and it's exposing where our heart is, not just with the giving part uh, of our budget. And God wants us to view all of our money with eternity in mind. So no matter what we're doing, 
that we can do almost anything with money with eternity in mind, that we could buy a PS5 with eternity in mind in a healthy way. We could sell a car with eternity in mind. We can give to the poor or give to the church with eternity in mind. We can do all of those ways in the way that Jesus is calling us to here, or we can do those ways that shows that our treasure is about what we can get in the here and now uh, on this earth. Even I think about the, the biggest budget line in most of our budgets is our house payment. And so does that mean we treasure our house above everything? Well, it can mean that. Uh, if your house is just a refuge and it's just about you and just about your own personal comfort, like it can be those things. I'm not saying it should never be that. But you should also just think about how do you use your house? Like if that is your biggest budget line, what do you, what do you use your house for? How do you view your house? Do you view your house in light of eternity where you can be hospitable to your neighbors, hospitable to the church, that you can welcome people into your home, both Christians and non-Christians, that they might be exposed to the beauty of the gospel. Um, again, it's not just that we treasure our house because it's our biggest budget line. It's like, okay, well, what do we do with that? That, that shows where our treasure truly is. Um, are you making decisions with your money and possessions that reflect a view of eternity or a view that this life is what is most important? That's what Jesus is challenging here. And then he continues to dig a little deeper. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. And one of the things Jesus is doing here is, is a couple things. The Sermon on the Mount, he's calling us to this holistic kind of view. Uh, he's calling us to be this holistic person, not a divided person, but a singular focus. That's why there's so much, like even this passage is kind of black and white. It's one or the other. There's no like nuance. It's you're this way or that way. And Jesus is calling us to view our life like we're wholly committed and focused to who God is to the king of this kingdom and what his kingdom is about, and we're not divided in any way. And what this I metaphor is, is it's showing that kind of division when we, when we are divided, that when we are divided, the whole thing's bad. Like we're not just kind of bad, we're, we're, everything's gotten off somewhere along the way. And even as you look at the metaphors in the scriptures, when it talks about a bad eye, it's often talking about greedy people. If you track that kind of phrase throughout the scripture, having a bad eye is correlated with being greedy. And so that's why it kind of fits here in this passage about uh, treasure and possessions and, and money. Is, are, are we being greedy or are eyes uh, blurred by, by those realities? When our wealth rises above God, we can only see money will benefit us. And maybe we give lip service, but we really believe money is our actual savior. And I think that's a prominent struggle for us. And that's why he goes on to say, it's kind of building, as you can see. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either you hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So if you just look at those words there, you're hating and despising God and loving and being devoted to money? Or you're uh, loving and being devoted to God and viewing money in its right place? Those are the options that he puts before us. We can't do both. 
And I, I think the, the word translated here, serve, uh, often in other translations is, tr- is translated slave. Obviously serving a master, it's kind of that same idea. And I think about even how today we're celebrating Juneteenth. If you don't know what Juneteenth is, it's the day when uh, the uh, slaves in Galveston, Texas actually found out uh, that they were free. And so, uh, you know, the Civil War started, then uh, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, um, and then about a couple years later after that, uh, the Civil War ended, and then about two months after the Civil War ended, troops finally made it to Galveston to announce to these slaves uh, that, hey, you are free. And here's the reality, obviously slavery is uh, wicked and unjust and, uh, you know, a a black eye on the reality of our uh, history. But the thing about the slavery Jesus is talking about here is it's a voluntary slavery. It's a, it's a, we're not being forced to serve the God of money. We, we are signing up to be slaves to the God of money. And, and sometimes you might think, again, I, I, we got to have a good understanding of what sin is. So if you ever sin with money, because some of you, th- you think, man, it's just too much for me to say I'm a slave to the God of money. But if you've ever sinned in regards to money, that is exactly what that has said. So you don't live your whole life, Lord willing, if you're a Christian, the Spirit's indwelling you, you're growing and being sanctified and learning what it means to view your money in light of who God is. Uh, But this could be an area where you really struggle, where you struggle being a slave to the God of money more and more often. Or this may be an area where you struggle and you're growing and God's growing you and shaping you. But we need to have that kind of language in regards to sin so we can feel the weight of the reality of our sin. Again, if we just have this little money issue that we struggle on occasion, then we're not really grasping what Jesus is trying to teach us here. Jesus is saying there's times where we bow down to the God of money. And when we can come to grips with that, we have a God that has died for those very realities. A God that has died on the cross for those moments when we bow down to the God of money. We looked at Jesus on the cross and we've looked at what money can provide and we've said, this is more. This is more sufficient, this is more helpful, this is what I really need, and this is just not impractical. Um, and that's what our repentance can look like when, by God's grace, the Spirit convicts us of doing this, of volunteering uh, for this kind of slavery. Um, and I obviously want us to grow in the clarity of what it looks like to have this one master we think about the two different masters, money or Jesus, one leaves us wanting and cares nothing for our soul. Yet there's another master who cares so deeply for our souls that he's willing to go through the torments of hell on our behalf, suffering and enduring, so that we could experience freedom from the worldly oppressive masters that we set up for ourselves. There's one that cares nothing for our soul, and there's one that cares eternally for our soul. When we think about it, it can make that decision a little easier. And the, uh, the black and whiteness of this passage, again, tend to bother us because we're honest, we often treasure the things of this earth and have an unhealthy ambition and actions and willingly serve the master of money and try to prop up our little makeshift kingdom by serving this master. But Jesus came because he knew we had sick hearts and needed this healing. And so, guys, we've got to evaluate our lives and see where our treasure is and own up to that truth. 
realize that we have been serving money and not God, and repent as early and often as we need to. Uh, Jesus is going to go on to talk about some of the implication of our choices in the rest of this passage. Um, as, a, the, as we get to the rest of the, I mean, Matthew 6, obviously the Sermon on the Mount is just chock full of all of these kind of famous passages, and, and it goes on in 25 through 34, uh, to be another one of those, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Don't be anxious about tomorrow for to be anxious about itself. These are just popular verses that made it into even our culture that uh, Jesus has given us here. But even in mine and Ginger's life, this passage has been, it's just a passage we've gone to early and often. Um, I think about uh, early in marriage when, uh, again, there's, just a, uh, there's so much comfort from Jesus here, but then in particular, after we had our sweet little Lily, this is a passage that I would come to early and often to, to read over Ginger, to read about us, and it's a little out of context, so, but I would actually often think of the lilies of the field, and, uh, and I would think about my sweet little Lily and how she is arrayed with more beauty than, than even the King of Solomon. Uh, that, that God has granted her with a kind of beauty that shows off who he is uh, that, that even uh, Solomon lacks. Um, and so this is just a passage that we, we've, is, is been, meant a lot to us as a family. And, and what is happening here is uh, this passage is really answering the struggle of the first passage. So, so verses 19 through 24, and you know what it looks like when we uh, serve the God of money, what it looks like when our eyes are unhealthy, what it looks like when we're treasuring stuff on this earth is it creates anxiety. All of those things create anxiety, and so this passage is answering those struggles, starting in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. And food and clothing are a picture, they're, you know, literal here, but they're just a picture of all of life's basic necessities. That's what Jesus is trying to show us. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And if you see just the most common word there, anxiety is repeated six times. And Jesus is talking about a particular type of anxiety around God's provision. Again, would God, would God, will God provide the basic needs that I have? Will God provide what I need? Again, this anxiety is the culmination of not following Jesus' previous statements. When we're treasuring the things of this world, having greedy eyes and being a slave to the God of money, this will produce anxiety. And so Jesus' simple instruction here is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
Anxiety is this divided soul being divided. And, and Jesus throughout his sermon is calling us to this wholeness of mind, body, and soul being completely submitted to him. And even though much of anxiety we experience might be from something else or even more complex than this, it's not talking about every aspect of anxiety, but we shouldn't dismiss this question. How much is our anxiety because we're doing the opposite of what Jesus has called us to? How much of our anxiety is just because we don't believe God is going to provide for our basic needs? It's just good to kind of consider those simple questions as we think about the turmoil in our own hearts and our own minds and the conversations we have with ourselves, the conversations we have with others. Um, the straightforward message that Jesus is saying here, again, this is hard for us to consider, worries and anxiousness over provision should not be present among believers. That's what Jesus is saying, because he provides. And this is one another one of those revealing statements that's just, it's hard to swallow and should show how much we need Jesus. Again, we can feel shame and guilt for, for responding to that, or we can feel like, Jesus, I need you so much because this is so present in my life. I doubt your provision so often, and yet you have died for the very doubt that I experience. Um, the, these, these kind of basic, you know, these straightforward passages, it's what they do. They expose the sin in our lives so simply um, if we're willing to listen, if we're willing to hear, and they help us fall under the waterfall of grace that Jesus offers. But Jesus tells us to be active in responding to our anxiety, not just passive. Often we're stuck in our anxiety because our main response is passivity. It's just we're just there and we're not doing anything about it. And so I want to give you just a real practical next step that can be part of you seeking the kingdom of God um, in his righteousness. Is Have you ever talked to somebody about your finances? Have you ever just talked to somebody about your finances? Giving in secret that Jesus talks about earlier um, in chapter 6 has everything to do with motive of hearts and nothing to do with remaining silent about your finances. Have you ever talked about to someone about your struggle you have in regards to giving or in regards to debt or regards to spending. Why are we so prone to keep this area of our lives so hidden from everybody else? I, I think about the things we're willing to talk about and even at, at a church like ours where I feel like we're maybe a little more vulnerable, a little more willing to talk about what's going on in our hearts and our lives. How unwilling, how uneasy would it make us to talk about this and like in a clear way, not just like the general easy to talk about way, but like, oh, this is what my budget looks like, or this is where we overspend, or this is what we give. Like, why is, it, why is it wrong to talk about those kinds of things? Why is there so much shame and guilt and like embarrassment attached to those kinds of things in our lives? So what would it look like for you to talk to somebody uh, about your finances? Um, often, the area of our, our, often the areas of our life that we keep most concealed are the ones that tend to be most unhealthy. It's not always true, but it's often true. Like what we're not wanting to talk about, what we're afraid to talk about, obviously things we're purposely keeping in the dark, that's, that's definitely true. Um, but often even things like this, where just hadn't thought of that, there could be unhealth. I remember me and a while back, me and Ginger did this one at the Paradox, and there's something just really sharpening about showing someone else your budget and showing someone else what's going on in your checking account. Like it's like, oh, someone else that isn't us is going to see these things. Um, and that's just a helpful uh, aspect 
of, uh, it, it can be really healthy to do. And I think about right now, it may even be easier as we're all experiencing the financial squeeze of everything going on in our economy. Like we're all doing that. Has anybody watched the start stock market lately? Um, Anybody start investing in 2020 and be like, man, why did I do that? Um, have you gone to the grocery store and wondered why your grocery budget has grown by 50%? Or man, those of you that have Suburbans and trucks right now, I just, maybe we should start a GoFundMe, I'm not sure, uh, just to help you get places, because uh, gas is so crazy uh, right now. And we're all, we're all feeling that. Uh, just as a, as a family, Ginger handles our kind of day-to-day -day finances. I tend to handle kind of big financial things that we do. And she was even feeling the weight of this. So just recently, we don't do this often. And it wasn't even because I was preaching. It just was like needed to happen. So this Friday, we actually met to talk about our finances, to look at them together and look at all the different things we have uh, going on. Um, and, um, and there was two kind of takeaways uh, from that. One it was actually after we had that conversation, and we're, it, well, after we had that conversation, one of my, like, responses to that was anxiety. And, and that was really unique for me, because, like, I've done nothing but get richer since I was 18. Um, like, it's just like my money situation has just gotten better and better throughout the years. And obviously, I don't have much money, but I have much more than I've ever had. And so, that's like, Ginger feels bad turning our kids down on stuff. I'm like, dude, they've got so much more than I've ever had. I, I'll tell them no all day. Um, they're fine. Uh, they probably don't appreciate that. But, uh, um, but it's just, I'm, not, I'm used to just feeling that kind of response in regards to our money. Like I'm just, yeah, uh, it's different than what I have experienced. Uh, so that, that was unique. It was unique for me to have kind of this like, man, unsettled kind of anxiety thinking uh, about our, our, just our financial situation. And we're fine, so it's not, sorry, I, this can be weird to talk about, but we're good, you know? I'm modeling for us, but anyways. Uh, there's nothing more to that. Um, but maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate to whether you're doing really well financially or struggling, you know, even month to month, week to week financially. You can relate to just thinking about finances right now and feeling some anxiety. And then the second thing we walked away is what I was encouraging you to, is that it'd be really helpful to talk to somebody uh, about our, our finances and something we've done uh, at different times. And so we have someone here, David Jamison, who uh, provides free financial counseling for people at Northbrook. So I reached out to him and we're gonna set something up to talk about uh, our finances. And I would encourage you, you probably should do the same. Um, and so we'll send out just the, the form to, to do that this week. And I would, I would enjoy if we were like overloaded with requests and we had to figure out what to do, because um, it, it's just a really healthy thing to do and to consider is just to open up your finances to someone who uh, has some wisdom, has some experience, uh, but also just the, just the practice. There's a sharpening and health that comes um, from talking about this uh, with others. So I would encourage you uh, to do that. And again, Jesus is calling us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He's calling us to be active in this, not passive. Um, and, and even if you were to think the thing about what would keep you, I mean, not everybody needs to talk to somebody about their finances, but if you were to think about what would keep you from doing it, would it be in the category of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, or would it be in the category of valuing money and the things of this earth? Um, and so wherever that lies is, is what obviously you need to deal with or be encouraged by. Um, and so even as we just wrap up with a few other ways of seeking first the kingdom of God and his 
righteousness. Because I think this is another one of those verses that we can take in just like this super spiritual way. Like we think, what does it look like to seek the first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Does it mean we quit our job and just sit at home and, and pray all day and we're just, we can't do anything because we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? But obviously Jesus is incredibly practical. Uh, Jesus is, is wanting us to do this. This is what the Sermon on the Mount is about, is how do we live life devoted to this king and his kingdom? So it's not about quitting everything and staying home and praying. It's about when we go to work, what does it look like for us to treasure, um, to put our treasure where our heart is? What, what are we devoted to when we go to work? Is it about this king and his kingdom? What does it look like in our marriage? What does it look like to be devoted to this king and this kingdom? It's not like, oh, you know, I can't talk to you right now. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm going to, I'm too busy praying. I can't, no, it's, no, we, we, what does it look like to lay down our, our lives for the sake of our wife and, and love our wife like Jesus loved the church? Um, when we are seeking first the kingdom of God, Jesus helps us not passively but actively use whatever wealth he's given us to work in the jobs we have, to love the people in our lives in a way that builds treasures in heaven and ultimately glorifies him. That's what we're desiring. That's what we're longing for. That's what we're having to turn to after we realize we're turning to the things of this world. Like, man, I can view this relationship. I can view this family. I can view this job in light of eternity. And there's just a freeing reality there. When we're trying to get things from a relationship, or from a job, or from a family, in a way that values the stuff of this earth, isn't that what creates anxiety? But we're like, man, I don't, Jesus provides. Jesus gives me all that I need. I don't need that from this situation. We're, we're freed up uh, to glorify him in those areas. Um, that's why I think it's so important that we have to recognize who Jesus is in reality. Like when it, the, more, the better picture we get of this king and who Jesus is, the more just right understanding we'll have of money. We, we have to know the king of this kingdom if we want to have a healthy view of our money and possessions. And, and you can hear me talk about him. I can hear others talk about him. But what we need to do is go to God's word where we get to find out who this king is. And so we can see that in John 1 that he was there when the galaxies were spoken into existence. In Colossians 1 that Jesus is the one that is holding all things together. Or in Ephesians 2 that he is the one that absorbed the very wrath of God that we could have salvation. Like when we get this vision of who Jesus is in reality and we dwell upon it and live in light of it, our perspective of money just shifts and changes because we see him for, for who he really is. Like think about can money breathe life into your dead heart? Can your retirement account save your soul from the depths of hell? Can your house create the world, world or hold all things together? No, all of these things are here today and gone tomorrow, but there is one who stands forever. The beginning of Matthew 6, it, it helps us see that we can't find our security in the approval of man. That's what the beginning of Chapter 6 does, this passage helps us see we can't ease our anxiety with the accumulation of stuff. It's just never going to happen. We must look at all of that and count it rubbish compared to the greatness and glory of God. That we would come to this king and view an eternity with him as far better than anything this world has to offer. And pray that the Holy Spirit will help us have that view as we steward all that he has provided. Let me pray for us in this way.
Lord Jesus, you are good. And you provide. Uh, Father, I just think of even that picture of the birds of the air, how they're not anxious about where their provision's going to come from. The lily that's just there, being beautiful. And God, how you tell us to look at those and to consider how much even more you value us. Those made in your image. Those even here that maybe haven't put their faith in you, that you love and that you value, that you've created, that you long for them to see how much you value them, to embrace the love you have for them. And not to mention those of us here that are yours, that have placed our faith in you, that have bowed our knee to you and proclaimed that you are the king of the world, the universe, that you are, um, that you are sovereign and reigning and ruling over all. We believe that. We proclaim that wholeheartedly. And yet, Holy Spirit, you see how often in our lives we choose other ways. That anxiety in our life creeps in, particularly anxiety around, will you really provide? Will you really give all that we need? And we doubt and we struggle. And there's only one answer, to continue to come back and see this Jesus that is ruling and reigning and sovereign and so good. And so, Spirit, would you do that? Would you help us? Uh, would, you, would you do that now as we come to you, as we sing to you, as we think about communion? But then even in the days and weeks to come, would you help us think about not being passive here in our anxiety, but being active and considering what it looks like to potentially talk to somebody uh, about our finances and to seek help there, uh, to continue to come to grips even as if we're single with our with our own personal finances, if we're married, as we have families, with, as we talk as a family, that you would help us be active in, in seeking your kingdom and your righteousness above all else. And so, Spirit, we, we need your help. Lord Jesus, I, just, I can't be anything but just so thankful that you're so practical. You, you don't just leave us in this ambiguous, wondering what to do with something that's so significant in our life, but you, you speak straight to it. So would we hear you? Uh, It's in your name we pray. Amen.